ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hello, I'm Tom Gilson, and today on ID the Future, we're back with Dr. Brian Miller, Research Coordinator for the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture, with a question and answer follow up to his lecture on the intersections of engineering and biology given at the Dallas Conference on Science and Faith in November 2021. John West, Vice President of the Discovery Institute, is on stage with him asking the questions. Thank you, Brian, for a great talk. We have some great questions to uh, have you deal with. So, first question. Do you agree with Professor Matty Lysola that bacterial antibiotic resistance is due to overgrowth of less sensitive segments of bacterial populations or something else? What, what you find um, is, is the language is, you hear this language all the time. It's like, does the adaptation in bacteria or fishes result from the environment? You see how that works? The environment is the star of the show. The environment informs. The truth is the opposite. What happens is the more you look at like bacteria or yeast or whatever, what you find is pre-programmed responses. So for instance, what you'll find is when certain microorganisms detect um, an environmental stress, what they'll do is they'll create what are called mutational hotspots. So they'll target certain regions of uh, the, the genome to increase the, the alteration of, of, amino, of nucleotides to create variation that's actually useful. So what you see more and more is um, these adaptive mechanisms are not just random mutations, but they're pre-programmed responses. And in fact, Robert, uh, uh, James Shapiro talks a lot about this. He has a paper called Bacteria Are Not Stupid. He talks about how so much of what happened in bacteria is engineered for that to happen. Are there random mutations that could help? Yeah, sure, that's possible, but that's not the star of the show. So much of the adaptation is because of the engineering inside of these organisms. Prokaryotes sometimes keep track of their gene code as a group, not as individuals. Do you see this trait as elegantly under-engineered? Um, what you find is, and again, I'm, I'm not going to speak to that in detail because I haven't studied that particular example, but we have people who came to our cells conference, or it's conference on engineering redundant cells, and um, what they're doing is they're looking at how you have group activities in bacteria such that you're not just dealing with one organism working independently, but they almost work as a macro-organism. They're engineered to cooperate with each other for sometimes the benefit of the ecosystem. So what you find is a lot of this group activity in bacteria and other organisms is an engineered principle. And also you look at how different species interact with each other. You'll have roots that send out signals to attract other organisms to work in a cooperative fashion. So, so much of what we're seeing, not just at the individual level, but with populations and with even ecosystems represents engineering principles. In intelligent design, there's a focus on the irreducible complexity of simple, put in quote marks, systems like flagella. Is anyone looking at more complex systems like the immune system? Uh, yes. Um, the problem with these more complex systems is that they're more complex. So it's much, much harder to fully get your mind around these systems to identify all the pieces. But we have people that are, that are looking at it from a systems level. So what you see is not just irreducible complexity at the level of, let's say, a bacterial flagellum, but you have irreducibly complex 
systems working together, where each system is a compilation of irreducibly complex systems, which each subsystem is irreducibly complex uh, with multiple components. So we are looking at how engineering principles operate at these higher levels, but it's just more challenging because there's so many more variables. Yet, that being said, it looks like life was deliberately designed such that our engineering intuition would help us understand the design at multiple levels. So we have individuals working at, at looking at entire organisms, others are looking at more of, uh, of systems in various animals, and other people looking at more of the small-scale interactions of individual proteins. So we're looking at every level. Hmm. Couldn't someone argue that human design and nature are similar because man naturally tries to mimic nature in engineering because it's all we know? Well, so, so the question is, isn't it, isn't it possible that the similarity is because humans copied from nature? And yeah, there's probably a little bit of that. Like I'm sure the early developers of flight were looking at bird wings, but we, a lot of this was discovered independently. Like people that work on control systems, for instance, didn't know that life contains control systems. In fact, a lot of our understanding of this complexity is only in the last several decades where the research tools allowed us to really understand what's going on. So what you find is parallel research that biologists are understanding these systems, engineers independently under, uh, discover these systems, and when they work together, they're looking at the overlap. So what is happening now is engineers are learning from biology to do engineering better. That's what we're seeing. With the physical changes seen in examples such as the fish, does the DNA stay the same, thus further confirming pre-programming? Uh, great question. In fact, I didn't have a chance to show a quote by, uh, I think it was Pearson, uh, I think it might have been a 2013 paper, but what he talks about is how people who study uh, variation adaptation in cichlids are realizing that most of the variation is not from genetic variation, but pre-programmed phenotypic plasticity. And some of the genetic variation is not random, but from natural genetic engineering. Like if I recall correctly, in cichlids, what you find is I think transposable elements move to the regions of genes that affect vision and help to create variation for vision genes that is helpful for the organism. So a lot of it is phenotypic, but even the genetic diversity is not purely random, but more from what it looks like natural genetic engineering. This is cutting edge. We're talking the last few years. So we are right at the edge of this transformation. So I think that's going to become even more clear as time goes on. What do you propose as a mechanism for the infusion of information that causes a jump in design? Great question. So what happens is if you look at, let's say, the fossil record and you see the sudden appearance of new organisms or radical transformations, what's the mechanism? Well, the thing about design is if it's designed, we won't necessarily know exactly how it happened. Let me use an analogy. Imagine people find a spaceship that crashes near Area 51. Now, and they call a bunch of engineers to look at the spaceship. Uh, and they say, hey, this looks like human engineering in different ways, it's more advanced. No one's gonna say, well, look, you've gotta stop your research until you tell us exactly how the aliens created that spaceship. That won't happen, right? 
We may never know how they created it, but we do see evidence of design that helps us to understand it. In the same way, if life was created by a mind, God, a creator beyond our imagination, exactly what that looked like, we may not ever really know. But that's okay, because when you know it's design, that leads to very fruitful research questions that lead in the right direction. Would humanity go further if engineering, biology, and the study of the human brain tried to work together? If so, what would we achieve as a planet? Um, biology is advancing because engineers are working with biology. This is not theoretical. What's happened is the more engineers bring their insight to biology, the faster biological research advances. Because biologists would look at something and they think, well, I don't know why, how, why it works that way. It must be poor design. Like, why on earth would the photoreceptors be backwards? But when engineers come in, they know to look at how engineers will optimize around multiple variables. So they're able to understand why was it designed the way it was designed. They're able to understand, oh, this is a control feedback loop. We expect to see A, B, and C. So they may find B and C, so they then look for A and they find it because the engineering insights help them to know what to look for and to understand its meaning. How do we square the view of the create, that the creator basically, I guess, is hands off in, in the development of life and doesn't periodically step in to tweak the creation with an event like the Cambrian explosion? How do you, I'm sorry, how do you? How do you square that view with, I, I think what they're getting at is does the history of life show infusions of information? Yeah, yeah. what you find in the, in the history of life is clear evidence of infusions of information. So what you find is you'll see just radical new organisms appear suddenly um, in mass, like not just one type of mammal, but in the, in the same fossil level, what you find is multiple orders of mammals that appear very suddenly with no precursors. And that's the typical pattern. So, and again, people will say, well, is, isn't that uncomfortable? Why would God need to fiddle with his design? Well, people say, well, couldn't God have designed the universe in such a way that life just appeared and evolved without intervention? He could have, but we couldn't do science if he did. Because if you created laws of physics to generate cells and to evolve things, those laws would be so complicated, so numerous, so convoluted, that you could never study them. So our laws of nature are simple so that we can actually do science. But simple laws cannot create complex machines. So nature is like, I think the, the analogy Bill Dembski used is a flute. A flute is designed to work with a musician who blows wind into the flute to produce music. Our universe is designed to sustain life, but it's designed in such a way that the creator intervenes in life, he works in life to produce new organisms. That's just how it's designed. So this is a little more of a theoretical uh, question about neo-Darwinism. The neo-Darwinian process is purposeless. However, evolution is driven by a demand for survival, which is a purpose. How is this to be reconciled? Well, again, it's, it's, it, what you're dealing with evolution is an optimization problem. It's a logic, right? And the problem is optimization processes will only optimize what already exists. So if you have a car, you can tweak the, a, a nozzle, you can move a seat back, you can fiddle with it to improve the car. Optimization processes cannot create anything new. 
If you try to turn a car into a helicopter through a gradual process, you can make little tweaks, but as soon as you change the basic architecture of the car, it stops functioning long before it becomes a helicopter. So uh, the idea of survival, natural selection, and so forth, is, makes a little bit of sense when you talk about optimization. It makes no sense when you talk about creating some new engineering model that's irreducibly complex based on a completely separate design logic. Engineers know this. In fact, engineers can predict where there'll be gaps in the fossil record. Because an engineer can look at the design logic of an organism, they can anticipate what is fixed and where are the flexible parameters. So then if you look in the fossil record, you know where there'll be gaps because there'll always be a gap when a new design logic appears. So again, remember also all the empirical evidence, all of it, shows that evolutionary processes only modify pre-existing structures. They do not create new structures. They optimize, they do not create anything novel. And a lot of that optimization is not random, it's pre-programmed. Another more theoretical question. If one attempts to ground natural effects with their causes, do we not in all cases eventually reach a first formal metaphysically derivative cause? Yeah, yeah, that's always the case because you can, you can follow the chain of causes backwards. Like, why did um, my car crash? Because I was driving it poorly. Well, why did that happen? Well, maybe it was because of the engineering. If you go all the way back at some point, you have to ask, well, where did the universe come from? So if you go far enough back, you always get to a prime creator that created everything. That's the case. What's really important is that you see design not just in the creation of the laws of nature, but you see engineering design. This is so important. Engineering transcends the physics and chemistry of the materials of what you built, right? You cannot understand the organization of a car based on the physics and chemistry of aluminum and metal and steel and rubber. You see a mind that shaped matter according to a blueprint. So what you see in life is a mind who creates blueprints and then shapes matter according to those blueprints in ways that transcend the physics and chemistry of the materials. So there's both design in the laws of nature and there's design in creation with a creator that imposed design logic on matter that we see. They're both types of design which are important. Okay. Um, this is an interesting question. Might it be more reasonable that God gave his helpers, such as angels, the job of guiding evolution? This could explain some suboptimal designs. <laughs> I'm not a theologian, so I haven't thought deeply about how angels may have assisted with the evolutionary process. I, I don't go there, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but from an engineering perspective, I'll just say this. When you look at nature, origin of life, everything about the origin of cell violates every known law of chemistry and physics. The only way a cell can exist is for an engineering mind to put the matter together for that purpose. You look at nature, you see in the, in the fossil record, new things appear suddenly. From a scientific perspective, I see design, and that conclusion leads to research programs that advance science. Um, you can postulate if that design was from angels or from uh, whatever, but those are questions I can't answer so clearly. Um, final question, I'm gonna see if I can 
asked this because someone has actually submitted the same question several times. I haven't asked them because there were some words missing. I didn't really quite understand what they were asking, and so I apologize. You may be able to tell when I asked the question if you're the person who proposed it. Uh, and I'm not sure whether you'll be able to answer this, but I think what they're getting at is that in the book of Genesis, you know, there's the stuff about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that we're not supposed to take of it and that some people might have a negative view of science from that. So isn't there, but this person says, you know, isn't there a a biblical grounding for Christians wanting knowledge of the world? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, If you look at Genesis, and again, I'm not a theologian or a Bible scholar, but but this is so blatantly obvious, I'll say it anyway. Um, The commission is for people to advance in the world. The language is, is subdue nature. It's not subdue in a violent, exploitive way, but more to understand it and to use it for a purpose. Technology, science, are ordained by God. He said, go out and understand the world, create cities, create art, and everything. So it is a biblical mandate to do science. And again, as Steve Meyer talked about, science was largely modern science birthed from a Christian narrative because the Christian framework gives you the philosophical and theological framework to do science, which we're called to do. But here's the key. Here's the difference. When you look at this idea of knowledge, knowledge is a tool that can be used for good and evil. Knowledge without wisdom leads to exploitation. It leads to environmental destruction. It leads to um, the destruction of species. Knowledge with wisdom leads to uh, human flourishing. It leads to to an interaction of the humans with the environment that protect the environment while still using it to help people. So again, that's the idea of biblical wisdom, that if we know we're created by God, we know he created us for a purpose. And if we live according to the principles that he taught us, then we can use knowledge and technology and science in a way that's wise, that helps people, and not in a way that's arrogant and self-serving that hurts people. With that, we're going to thank you, Brian, for a great, uh, a great session. Thank you all for a great question. That was Brian Miller, Research Coordinator for the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute, responding to questions delivered by John West at the Discovery Institute-sponsored Dallas Conference on Science and Faith in late 2021. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.